this week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Titus with Devoted to Good Works and then move into Ruth with Intro to Ruth, Naomi Prepares to Return to Bethlehem, Ruth's Loyalty, and Call Me No More, Naomi. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Many of our guests here on Issues Etc. have recognized that there is a kind of radical individualism or a radically autonomous self-worldview that is at work in the world and even finding its way into the church. Believe it or not, it stands at the heart of a crisis that many on all sides of political persuasions, religious and non-religious, acknowledge to be a crisis, and that is the crisis of pornography. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about pornography, Pastor Christopher Heaton. He's pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Fulton, Missouri, author of a new book, Mentioning the Unmentionables, Naming the Corrosive Threat to Our Lives Together, and Our Faithful Response in the Body of Christ. Pastor Heaton, welcome. It is great to be here. Let's start with the numbers. What do they tell us about the normalization of pornography, as you call it? Well, it, they tell us that it is pervasive. It is not just in society, but it is in the church. Just a few statistics, 47% of families in the United States report pornography as a problem. One shocking statistic that I discovered in researching, the average age of first exposure to pornography is 11 years old. You know, I think most people equate pornography with you know, maybe teen males, and that's certainly a, a, a problem. Eighty-five uh, percent of teen males view pornography on a, a regular basis, but, but females, over half females, do so as well. And I think maybe what really uh, hit close to home is I am a parish pastor. Sixty-eight percent of church-going men and 43 percent of pastors watch pornography on a weekly basis. So the numbers tell us that it is everywhere, it is ubiquitous, and, and we are all affected by it, whether we directly watch it or not. So how is pornography a spiritual problem? Well, we often think of uh, sexual sin, pornography, as sins of the flesh, which it certainly is. But um, we are um, in a battle with uh, the forces of darkness, uh, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, as Paul tells us. And Satan is an agent of chaos and uh, desires nothing else than us to uh, reject God's will for our lives and to engage that which is perverse. So if we fail to see engagement with sexual sin and pornography as a spiritual issue, we actually fail to deal with the root cause. And, you know, the terrible triad, the, the sinful world, Satan and our flesh are at war against us, and uh, that is our uh, mortal enemy. And so we, we have to deal with the spiritual component if we're going to actually talk about the cure for sexual sin, which is the mercy of Christ. You had mentioned one of the stats that you uncovered was the average exposure age is 11 years old. I've got grandchildren now, and I spend an awful lot of time when I'm taking care of them 
steering clear of everything that, online or in the media that would be spiritually harmful, someone has to ask, how does an 11-year-old find pornography? That's a great question. And I think that question should convict all of us who have kids, grandkids, who um, are teachers, pastors. So it's a parenting problem. It's a technology problem. It's a catechesis problem. And it's a worldview problem. And all of those things are very complex. So it's not just a matter of, I'm not going to give a, a, my child a smartphone until they're 18. I mean, there, it's more to it than that. But that's certainly the issue is... And I see this all the time. Parents are willingly letting their children have devices connected to the Internet as early as six, seven, eight years old. And that's a problem. So it is something that we all have to look at our practices, both in our our families, schools, churches, and and ask the question, how can that be possible and get to the, the root cause? You address the subject in your book uh, using the acronym PIL. What does that stand for? Well, PIL or PIL is standing for pornia. That's the P. That is the Greek word for sexual immorality. The I is for general immorality. And then the L is for licentiousness. And I, I wanted to situate the problem with pornography th- this way in a broader uh, context, because very often we um, kind of narrowly think of pornography as, as, as simply someone watching adult content or something, but the problem is much more widespread and pervasive. So when Paul, for instance, talks about sexual immorality in his epistles, as he does often, he is not just talking about a kind of a narrow act. He's talking about anything that is antithetical to God's will for human sexuality. And we we can kind of see this with the way Paul will deal with the situations of sexual sin in, in, in the churches he writes to. Often he's not really talking about a specific act, but a, uh, well, a disposition of unrestrained desires. So when when we, we try to narrowly talk about pornography as only kind of this very narrow thing, then we are missing the bigger picture the licentiousness, the L in the pill, I think is, I think even for Lutherans, this is the big problem we face. We might, and Paul addresses this, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Heck no, he says, may it not be so. But the threat is always the freedom the Christian might feel, an American Christian might feel, to do whatever they want to do. I'll get my forgiveness and I'll just continue on sinning. But that is not how the scriptures talk about a life of faith and repentance. Uh, It is not how we are to deal with sexual sin and temptation and lust and those things. So trying to see it in a more broad way, I think, helps us all to, uh, let me put it this way, Todd, it convicts all of us in some way, shape, or form. So when I have an elderly church member ask me, what does this topic have to do with me? Well, let's talk about what types of things we're watching and and the types of activities we softly condone or put up with or look the other way. And and we all have some share in this as parents and just as sinners. You say that pornography tells us a story. What is that narrative? Well, the story pornography tells us is that we are the center of the universe and our bodies are disposable. 
the pursuit of pleasure is a goal for every life and uh, for every person, and that the only thing that matters is the satiation of the self. But what we lose in this is the crucial relationship of creator and creature, which is foundational to all of human existence. And the story of pornography tells us that there is no role for the creator in the, in the life, even of the Christian, and Christians will go along with this, that there is nothing that is off limits because we are free to do whatever we want. Now, people might bristle and say, well, that's not me, or I don't participate in all of this stuff. But I would just ask people to be very circumspect into what kinds of things that pornography indirectly tells us about our world. So let me give you an example. You might be driving down the highway with your kids and your wife or whatever, and you see a billboard. And it's for a gentleman's club or, a, you know, whatever, a, a store, adult store. And you see them. And, and what's your reaction to this? Your reaction is likely you don't think a thing about it. You don't even blink. You don't tell your girls to avert your eyes from evil or anything. You just drive past it. And so sexual sin has become so saturated through pornography that it's made like not just deep impressions on, on our psyches, but it's actually caused us to be just blind to the, the pervasiveness of sexual sin everywhere. You uh, quote and, and reference Billy Joel's hit from the 80s, I believe, My Life. Yes. And use that to, to talk about what you say is radical autonom- the radical autonomous self. What is that concept and how has it fueled the pornography crisis. Yeah, Billy Joel's My Life, I'm 52 years old, so these are the songs of my youth, which, as it turns out, I referenced three artists in the book, but Billy Joel would be the least likely of anyone who would take fire, take shrapnel from a book on pornography, but the song itself, if if, if your listeners are familiar with it, the refrain, I don't care what you say anymore, this is my life. Go ahead with your own life, leave me alone. Well, this is the radical autonomous self that speaks to a world that rejects every standard or conventional morality and just seeks to do whatever they want. So I think to explain the term, we got to go back to it's rooted in the enlightenment. God was the center of the universe. We replace God with man. Man is the measure of all things. And coming out of that project then we start to see conventional standards, uh, shared morality, practices that everyone agreed that were best for society. Slowly over time, those things get jettisoned until the only thing that is left is the, the self that decides their own reality for themselves. And in fact, it is the only defense people have left about whether something is right or wrong. Because the radical autonomous self doesn't really care about right or wrong. They care about what they feel. They care about what they decide to do, what's convenient for them, what is useful. And so we view the world this way, especially as Americans, even in the church, Todd, even as I preach and teach about some of these things, people will reject some of these truths, these biblical truths in Scripture, because they, they just feel they've got the right to decide 
to live and however they, they want. And the radical autonomous self is, is not a, well, it is not a worldview a Christian can adopt because of our relationship to our creator. We are completely given to and not free to do and say and engage in whatever we want. Pastor Christopher Heaton is our guest, author of the new book, Mentioning the Unmentionables. We're talking about pornography. On the other side, the role of technology. What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc. Lord, help us ever to retain the catechism's doctrine plain. What makes a church unique? Perhaps we should ask what makes a church faithful. Calvary Lutheran Church of Elgin, Illinois, continually learns Christ's doctrine, simply explained in the small catechism. This doctrine teaches us Christ crucified who even today comes and serves his baptized children in word and sacrament to forgive, strengthen, and teach us for daily life. This, Christ's own work among us, makes and keeps Calvary Lutheran Church faithful. Visit us at clce.org. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Christopher Heaton is our guest. We're talking about pornography. Christopher, everyone would agree that technology has an enormous role to play in the normalization of pornography, but you want to talk about whether or not the technology has a neutral role to play. What are you thinking of? Well, technology can be neutral. A paintbrush is neutral. A pencil eraser is neutral. A smartphone is not but what we're told again and again is that with respect to like smartphones or tablets or, or things that are connected to the internet, just for example, we're told that these things are neither good nor bad. It just depends on how they're used. No, they actually 
are designed to elicit more usage and to interact with people in such a way that they become habituated into using them. And then, of course, it's a gateway and doorway to every manner of perversity or ideology that's out there. So they're not neutral. doesn't mean that you, as a Christian, have to get rid of your smartphone. It does mean that you cannot and should not give an eight-year-old access to the internet without any kind of training or supervision. And we used to know this. We used to understand this just implicitly. You would never hand your child a a, a razor-sharp knife or a, a powerful table saw without training them to use such a tool. And uh, we've just given over technology unfettered in many cases to our children and to ourselves. I mean, we're, we're just as bad, generally speaking, as, as children are. But to say that technology is not the problem is, is not actually looking at what the data tells us with respect to how we are formed and shaped by using technology. What does the Bible have to say about what you call the gift of modesty? Well, the scriptures in many places point us to modesty as in a restraint of behavior and also a restraint of showing ourselves, a restraint of indecency. I keep using that restraint because that that is part of what the biblical picture of modesty is. I, I focus in the book more on modesty and dress, which is directly correlated to the problem of sexual sin and pornography, but we are... A rabidly immodest people, and you know we we uh, again. I, I think we're so saturated with how, say, people dress and how people conduct themselves that we are almost blind to it. I tell the story in the book about uh, an interaction I had when I was working for uh, Barnes and Noble. I was a store manager, and I there's a young lady that comes in. This is probably 2011, 2010, something like that, and and she came in wearing. Uh, well, they were yoga pants, leggings, what have you, but there was nothing covering anything. And I remember thinking to myself, did she forget to put on like her top or her dress? Or But then I realized, no, she intended to go out this way. But just think now, just 15 years later, how common this is. And I, I use this anecdote to, to show you that we have, even as Christians, we, we have gotten away from from the picture of modest behavior and actions and dress that is a gift of God given to his people that women might be protected and preserved from, well, from the leering, prying eyes of men, and uh, that men would be trained through modest behavior and modest dress to protect a woman's dignity and value We've just kind of lost this concept that is just implicit in the scriptures. You point out that modesty is kind of a natural human instinct. It kind of has to be catechized out of us or in other ways trained. We have to be trained away from it. Mm -hmm. And so you make reference to this. There was a, a huge online debate some years ago about yoga pants and whether or not they're immodest. Mm -hmm. And the two camps basically said, I can wear whatever I want. It's your pro- it's your, if your problem if you if you can't deal with it. Right. And the other side saying you cannot expect to go out in something skin tight and not expect it to disrupt somebody else's attention. Right. Why is that a good example of what we're talking about here when it comes to modesty? Well, and I pick on yoga pants. I pick on Billy Joel. I choose these examples because these are just kind of 
part of our, I know about Billy Joel, but just pop music in general, just part of our daily lives. But immodesty, so uh, the revelation of body parts that were not meant to be seen except in the context of the marriage bed, because there's modesty in marriage, right? There's modesty in human relationships that are intimate with your family. So our call to modesty is, is not just outside of these relationships, but modesty protects us from sin. So a woman that says, well, I'm free, this is the licentious part, back to pill, I'm free to dress however I want, well, that is sinful, and she needs to repent of that because she is not to titillate her brother in Christ. She is not to give herself over to the eyes of another who is not her husband. I think if if young ladies and, and parents thought of it this way, that a woman and man's body in their unveiled form are meant to for the marriage bed, and they they are in fact modesty fiercely protects that that good gift of God in marriage, and says to the world, "You may not look at me." So, if a woman says, "Well, I don't care about my brother in Christ," that's sin. And of course, a brother in Christ is to avert his eyes and also to work towards. Uh, has to be trained in you. This is what you mentioned, Todd. Has to be trained in the act of not only looking the other way, but even in some cases helping a woman uh, be modest, maybe if she doesn't realize she's in a, in a modest pose or situation. And so it, it starts in the home. It starts in, as so many things do, with training a child in self-control and training a child in in some of these things that, as you say, we just kind of have been trained out of or catechized out of. How is Sodom and Gomorrah not only a true Bible story, but also an allegory for our times? Yeah. So if you look at the the true historical account that you find in Genesis there, in Genesis chapter 12, Abram is called out of Ur and he's to leave everything behind, but Lot goes with him. And it's a foreboding note, if you will, uh, kind of a disjunction in the in the narrative as Lot seems to cause Abram and Abraham problems as they go along. And so going to Genesis 18, you have the, the three visitors who appear to uh, Abraham and Sarah, and they reiterate the promise that God had made to them that Sarah would bear a son. And at the end of that visit, you have then God stay behind, it's clearly God, and tell Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot lives. All right, so the two other men, the heavenly beings, maybe angels, uh, I would say, go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is after Abraham, of course, has negotiated with God to save Lot and his family. All right, so I'm telling the story to set up the allegory, but the two men are received into Lot's home, which is, that's good. And then they are met at the door by the rabble of the town who demand to have their way with these men. Well, Lot goes out to them, and he tries to negotiate with them. He calls them brothers, and he seeks to find some kind of accommodation. And in fact, if you know the story, he offers another solution that is also indescribably vile. And so here is the allegory. Lot represents the congregational church, And the men who visit Lot are the authoritative word of God. Now, 
Lot receives these men into his home, and so that, that, is, that is good. But Lot leaves the sanctuary of the congregation, and he goes out and we might call the rabble the vile ideologies of the world, which include you know, sexual perversity and so forth. And he tries to negotiate or to try to co-opt or even in some way satiate the mob. Well, whenever the church tries to negotiate with what is satanic and wicked, it's always bad and it never turns out well because the rabble doesn't care. They just want to overpower and take out the word of God. Now, thanks be to God, the word of God, the, the sword of the spirit is all powerful and, and is uh, Christ and his church is unassailable. But what we see then in the kind of extending the story and, and looking at it allegorically, we see then the church having to flee destruction, not that the church is going to, to be destroyed, but that the situation in the, that place is untenable. And so we're told that Lot has to be dragged away from this life. And that's really interesting when you read that account. You're thinking, well, doesn't he see what's going on around him? But there are times even in the congregational church where you get caught up in your old life, what lies behind. And, of course, the, the detail that everyone kind of remembers in the story is then Lot's wife who does look back and is destroyed. And so we, we have to remember that we live in the world, and that is important in our relationship with our communities, but we do not and cannot adopt into the church things that are antithetical to God's word and truth, thinking that we can be in the name of inclusivity or love, thinking that we are somehow more merciful and loving than God is by kind of adjusting the, the core proclamation of the gospel which includes the repentance of sins and the free forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So we should learn from, from this lesson that God demands fidelity to his word, repentance in all things, and will deliver us from the wicked things and forces that are arrayed against us. Pastor Christopher Heaton is our guest. We're talking about pornography. He's pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Fulton, Missouri, and author of the new book, Mentioning the Unmentionables. We will talk about euphemisms and the compromise of the church next. Declaring to you the whole counsel of God, you're listening to Issues Etc. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Titus with Devoted to Good Works and then move into Ruth with Intro to Ruth, Naomi Prepares to Return to Bethlehem, Ruth's Loyalty, and Call Me No More, Naomi. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Hello, this is Roy Askins with The Lutheran Witness. You've heard me talk about all the great content we publish in the print magazine of The Lutheran Witness, but I wanted to share with you that we have even more online. Visit our website, witness.lcms.org, where you'll hear even more content on worship this month in particular from Cantor Phil Magnus. We also have a series on literature right now going on and a series on church art. 
with much more planned in the future. You can get all that for free on witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about pornography. Pastor Christopher Heaton is our guest, author of the new book, Mentioning the Unmentionables, Naming the Corrosive Threat to Our Lives Together and Our Faithful Response to the Body of Christ. Lutherans for Life is hosting an adoption conference for such a time as this, April 10th and 11th in Houston, Texas. For more information, visit lutheransforlife.org, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutherans for Life, lutheransforlife.org. Chris, before the break, we were talking about the ways that the church is compromised by the world. I think one of the subtle ways is by euphemism that we soften our language. Do we need to start using language like fornication and adultery again, rather than letting the world dictate how the church should soften its language? Well, and this is where a parish pastor, this this hits me where I live, because as you preach and teach, you're tempted to go along with the euphemisms. So here's an example cohabitation. Well, in my living memory, 52 years old, used to be called living in sin. And that's what we used to say. And it clearly communicated the, well, the, the, the sinful relationship, which it involves, of course, fornication outside of the marriage bed, sex outside of the marriage bed. But we just kind of go along with the way the language slides into um, easier sounding or softer sounding language to kind of cover up what's really going on. So we say, okay, they're shacking up. Oh, it's kind of funny. It's cute. It's uh, something that everyone will do, and they'll rationalize it, and then we kind of go along with our language. And then it becomes this kind of clinical cohabitation. You're thinking, well, that sounds very uh, clean, but it's not. And we've obscured what the root problem is. Also, the word partner, that's another one you hear, partner referring to marriage. Well, you sure you share your life with your wife or husband. Uh, you know, I share my, my life in my bank account and my bed with my wife. She's not my partner, though. She's my, she's my spouse. So I think if we get a little bolder and just speak very plainly and clearly, I think it will connect more easily to the underlying sin and the problem that's there. So how does the Apostle Paul, who addresses as you mentioned before, sexual immorality extensively and in several places, how does he address the problem with pornography or the related sexual immorality in his epistles? How would you summarize that? Well, I think we need to read all of Paul, and I'm kind of speaking maybe more narrowly to Lutherans, but I'm speaking to everyone. Paul has a lot to say about sexual sin. And in the book, I use three examples from Paul to make three different points. The first one is 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul addresses a specific situation in the congregation that he doesn't really get into details, but he just, because his hearers would know the story, but it's pretty clear that a stepson is, has taken up with his stepmother. Now, we don't know any more than that, but that's enough. And Paul actually calls the congregation to account for permitting such a vile practice go on in their church. 
even, he says, even the pagans wouldn't do such a thing. So he addresses it head on. And so he looks at specific situations that he's aware of and he speaks directly to it and not just to the offenders, but to the church at large to purge this evil from your midst, which is an echo of, of language you hear in Deuteronomy and so forth. Paul, though, also can kind of switch modes as well. So Paul has this ability to proclaim the gospel in so many different ways, profound images, again and again and again. And one of the most profound images that you get of the gospel proclamations, Colossians chapter 2, where Paul talks about God nailing our record of sin to the cross of his son, the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And it's so powerful, you can just kind of picture this in your mind. So shortly after that, Paul then switches from the full proclamation of what God does for us in Christ alone, the gospel, to then our lives together and what flows out of that. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And he goes on then to list what we are to actively do. And see, this is where Paul is so great. He uses active language to describe concretely for us how we are to live our lives. So he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And the first one on the list is sexual immorality, pornia. Kill it dead. And so Paul can go from the clear proclamation of the gospel, what God does for us in Christ alone, to what we then are to do in response in our lives of faith and so Paul will do this, and if we read, I think one of the issues, Todd, is that we, uh, what we get of Paul in on Sunday morning is just kind of parts of Paul, and so you end up kind of hearing uh, just parts of a letter, even if you go to church every Sunday. I think if we actually considered what Paul has in view for the Christian life in light of what God does for us, I think it's interesting to consider that Paul would have, his letters would have been written in a context of worship. So it would be read in worship before the supper. That's likely the scenario. And that the whole letter would have been read. So you're sitting in church and you're hearing Paul preach. This is take Rome, Romans is pretty long. It, it would take, you know, almost an hour to read it in total. And that's beyond our capacity to sit still for that long. But that's what would have happened. But after he proclaims the gospel for 11 chapters in Romans, he goes on and he switches to then this concrete language about our, you know, the way we experience the life of faith in the context of the church. Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the, by the mercies of God, so contingent on the gospel, flowing from the gospel, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly pleasing to God, and I translated this in the book, which is your next step service. This is a term Paul only uses here, and it has to do with what is consequential, what comes next, and that we are to not be conformed to this present age, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. So Paul, if we just embrace all of his teaching and apply it properly using you know, the distinction of law and gospel, 
that we, we then have a lot, just from St. Paul, not even looking at the rest of the scriptures, a lot that would help us just in our everyday lives together that speak directly to issues of sexual sin. You say that the cure for pornography is Christ. What do you mean by that? Without Christ, there is no mercy and forgiveness. If any of us trapped in any particular sin, if we are trapped in a behavior or uh, in a lifestyle or a pattern that is self-destructive, whatever it would be, we start with the mercy of Christ. And it is through his forgiveness alone that we receive his atoning sacrifice, his redemption, and then we are actually then given, we are changed, we are given his spirit. And in Christ, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So for any parish pastor that's helping someone with sexual sin, with a pornography engagement or addiction, the parish pastor always, always starts with the proclamation of Jesus. That is done very effectively in in private confession and absolution. So anything that I would say about kind of concrete practical responses to the problems we face, it always must be understood as being grounded in Christ's mercy and his work for us that we receive, we are completely given to. So before we talk about active obedience and living lives of holiness, we, we have to be anchored and centered in that reality of the gospel. What is creational rehabituation? That's a mouthful, isn't it? This is a, a term that I, I don't know if I coined it. I think I did. Maybe I picked it up from some somewhere, but I have to also credit my approach in this to uh, Pastor Scott Bruzik. I think he's retired now, Pastor St. John Wheaton, Illinois. But it is a, a way to speak about forming new habits that involve your entire body. So creational, we are, as I mentioned earlier, we are creatures of God. So pornography is not just a, a, a problem with the eyes or the hands or whatever. It's a problem of the person that is an embodied creature. And we then, flowing out of the mercy of Christ, are seeking to change, well, the habits that we form that have led us into this practice. And so Pastor Bruzik in particular was helpful in describing it as kind of a parts and light of the whole. So something for the eyes, something for the lips, something for the hands, something for the mind, and something for the heart. But in so doing, God gives us tools, gifts, approaches that enable us to retrain our very selves away from what is so destructive and towards what he desires for for us as his uh, children. We're talking about pornography. Pastor Christopher Heaton is our guest, author of the new book, Mentioning the Unmentionables. What do we need to know about teaching, technology, dating, and parenting next? If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction 
and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for issues, etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Criticism. I just had to call in to respond to this week's installment of Never Trump Drivel from Terry Mattingly. Compliments. I love the interviews and insights because they help me battle the slings and arrows of outrageous theology and practice. Clarification. Is there a point where, without baptism, infants go to heaven, and after which time they go to hell if they're not baptized? The Issues Etc. Comment Line, 618-223-8382. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. The light of God's Word in a world of darkness. You're listening to Issues Etc. Did you know that we send out an email each week that details upcoming show topics? It's available for you to include in your weekly church bulletin. Just click the Issues Etc. Journal logo at our homepage, issuesetc.org, and sign up to receive the church bulletin blurb. It's an easy way to invite your fellow parishioners to listen to Issues Etc. Issuesetc.org. Look for the Issues Etc. Journal logo and register to receive a weekly bulletin paragraph from Issues Etc. The Substitute Organist Service has been a great blessing for our worship life here at Christ the King Lutheran in Riverview, Florida. Pastor Kevin Yoakum on the Substitute Organist Service. Now our organ plays rich liturgical music every single Sunday, and it's very affordable. You pick the hymns, you pick the liturgies. It's very simple. Just know when to push play. You can find out more about the Substitute Organist Service at churchmusicsolutions.com. churchmusicsolutions.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about pornography with the author of the new book, Mentioning the Unmentionables, Pastor Christopher Heaton. Christopher, what do we need to know about teaching, technology, dating, and parenting within the Christian family? Well, so I think for a lot of us, you know, I, I wrote this with, with an eye to the person who suffers from the affliction of pornography. I also wrote it for people who are asking the question, well, how do I protect my children? And the answer is, and I mentioned this in an earlier response, but it is catechesis, so a life of worship and instruction in the home. It is, of course, going to church, so that's the teaching part, both worship and then what's done devotionally at home. It is the technology issue. 
I mentioned dating because I situate that as part of what needs to be taught at home and it kind of flows out of, of parent-child relationship as they go out into the world. And then parenting in general, which is a basic approach to the choices we make with respect to our kids. What is pre-modern parenting? All right, so pre-modern parenting, I think I would, I'll answer it this way. Here's what I will say to every family that I shepherd or talk to. I ask the question, how many times a week, let's, if you have a, a family with children at home and you know, husband and wife, so, so God's ideal, husband and wife, children at home, how many times are you able to eat dinner together? And if you can't say at least five times, you're making wrong choices. Now, this is where people get mad at me. But when you talk about root causes, and when I talk about a pre-modern parenting, I talk about I'm now going back to something before, before we were consumed with every activity, before we were consumed with screens in every single room of our house, before we walked around with rectangular portals to every manner of things in our pockets. There was a time when we would eat dinner together. So this is the kind of the, the, the basic litmus test for all of us. Can we at least four or five times a week, sit down with the people that we love without devices, phones, screens, and actually talk to each other. And from this simple litmus test and practice comes so many fruits that will bless us and actually reorient us towards God's goodness and truth. So we, we learn to talk to our children my family does our nightly devotionals after dinner because we're gathered together. So we continue to be fed in, in, in God's word. I found before dessert, because if you do it after dessert, people are just like kind of bouncing off the walls. And so that's the way we do it anyway. The meal is just a way to get to dessert for my girls. So, But this is where you talk about the challenges people face. You share food again. Jesus, by the way, this is what he did. He ate with people. He broke bread with people. He taught while he ate with them. I mean, the Gospel of Luke in particular is just replete with Jesus doing this time and time again. Maybe we could go back to that model and seek to make better choices with respect to activities, you know, the opt-in parent. Everything's yes, 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 yes. We're just loaded with activities, and it's no different in my house. But I think that's the way I'd answer that is simply embracing God's just natural structure and order for the family and making time above all else to talk, to eat, to worship, and to just laugh together. And from there, then, you can talk about all kinds of different practices in the home. What can the church do to address the root causes of this pornography crisis? Well, I, as a pastor, I, I can tell you that my wife and I can think of one sermon in our lifetime of going to church that directly addressed pornography, sexual sin, fornication, living together outside about all this stuff. We can remember one. The fact is the church has not done a very good job. And I'm just speaking from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod perspective has not done a good job about preaching and teaching about these issues 
openly and boldly. So the church needs to be the church and proclaim the full counsel of God, both his law and gospel, and it needs to come from the pulpit, and it needs to come in Bible class. doesn't mean every sermon has to be about this, but some of them have to. And if you just follow the, either the one-year lectionary or the three-year lectionary, you're going to have opportunities to do it. We just had one a couple weeks ago with 1 Corinthians 6. So pastors have to take on the mantle of the shepherd of people's bodies and souls and articulate this clearly because, Todd, if the church is silent, that's tacit approval or acceptance. And that may sound harsh, but if you never hear the authoritative preaching address these issues of the church, it leaves the impression, I speak from experience, that these things don't matter. But I can tell you, reading the scriptures, reading Paul, they certainly matter to God. And so that's the first thing. Second thing is we need to be places where, and this is uniquely for the congregational church, I'm not calling for a synod discovery panel on on this stuff, just grassroots stuff where we need to be places where young men and young women who maybe have left the home or are coming out of the home, maybe they're in college, can meet and get to know one another in an appropriate way, flowing out of a life of worship, but that the church can be a place to host some of these things. We used to do this in different forms. I think it's important for a young person who's looking to get married, to give them opportunities to meet someone that is, I mean, if we all want our daughters and sons to marry other Lutherans, right? Well, let's give them an opportunity. Along with that, I write about this. This is back to an interview you did several years ago with Molly Hemingway. And she mentioned, I don't even remember what the interview was about, but she mentioned the fact that she loved to matchmake and was gifted at it. And she was very excited by the opportunity to do this. And I think she shared a, a time where she was successful in it. Well, again, we don't need a, you know, a matchmaking committee or anything. We just need to uh, – there are certain women in the congregation who are good at finding fits between young people. Maybe even parents don't see and kind of getting out of their way quietly and just encouraging our you – know, not just young people, any people who are unmarried to – you know, if Grandma Schmidt says, hey, uh, I think uh, you should ask Esther to the sausage supper letter, I think that's uh, something we can kind of quietly get behind without making a big deal about it. But the, the church needs to be a place not just for families, but for the formation of, of families to be. We're talking with Pastor Christopher Heaton about pornography. When we come back, encouraging young people to get married. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. Memoria Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. 
If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. For over 75 years, our Savior Lutheran Church has taught that among God's people, learning is drawn from the clear truth of God's eternal word, the Bible. Our focus is on the cross where our Savior Jesus Christ died so that we might live with him here and in eternity. We invite you to join us for worship every Sunday at 930. We are located at 5000 West Tidwell in Houston, Texas, or you can watch us on our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Our Savior Lutheran Church and find us on our website at osl.cc. God's richest blessings. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education, but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview you're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ Lutheran, Jackson, Mississippi. Faith Lutheran, Waterloo, Iowa. Hope Lutheran, Melbourne, Florida. Lutheran Church of Our Savior, Cupertino, California. Our Redeemer Lutheran, Emmett, Idaho. Redeemer Lutheran, Chico, California. St. John Lutheran, Algoma, Wisconsin. St. Paul Lutheran, Donovan, Nebraska. Trinity Lutheran, Casper, Wyoming, and Zion Lutheran, Detroit, Michigan. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about pornography. Pastor Christopher Heaton is our guest. Christopher, before the break, we were talking about matchmaking in the church. I don't so much matchmake as uh, my pastoral practice has been for a long time, that when a young person, when they're pairing off, uh, I encourage them to get married. A young man starts bringing his girlfriend to church, and I start asking, uh, what are you waiting for? When are you guys getting married? When do you set the date? No, I completely agree. The church needs to be nosier. And this is something that this gets back to this idea that we're all kind of these autonomous individuals that we, you know, we don't like anyone interfering with our lives. But frankly, the church needs to speak up and speak into situations. And I think that's completely warranted. And I I think as a parent, I have a daughter that's going to go off to college soon. And and I would want my daughter's pastor at that time if, if she were starting a relationship with a young man that if he saw that firsthand I would I would love for him to get a little nosy as a father I'm involved in all that but that is to say that we we just need to encourage marriage Todd I, when I grew up we never talked about getting married or being a father or being a mother it was never part of the regular kind of conversation of growing up in the church and I'm not trying to indict anyone it's just my lived experience but what it creates is this idea that we just kind of follow the world with respect to dating 
and think that the, the outcomes, because we're Christians, will be different or something. Well, how's that working out for us? Now, there's some great examples. I remember I was at a Bible study once, and uh, the sainted Paul McCain was teaching, and he made the statement. I was t- maybe in my mid-20s, just married, didn't have kids, but he made the statement that stuck with me. And he frankly said, dating leads to marriage. And I remember thinking, is that true? Is that really because I had been catechized by the world, and I think a lot of people are too, that, it, well, you know, you just date and have fun and kind of see if it works out or whatever. But it's like, no, it must lead to marriage. It has to because that's God's design. And so I think we just have to be very – I appreciate your directness with young people. If it causes a little bit of offense or it's none of your business, well, I mean, I'm, I'm your pastor, and so I'm going to give you the truth. You say that we should be wholly hypocrites. Take us through that. Okay, so one of the big objections I get, maybe from people who really want to do the right thing with respect to their children, they have a past, perhaps, that they didn't do things the the way that uh, God would have them. They maybe have a past that they're ashamed of. And so what happens is that they feel like they can't say anything to their children or grandchildren, friends, what have you, because the worst thing that you can be, according to a nominal Christian or a non-Christian, is a hypocrite. And people really buy into this. And so that means, I guess, in the modern parlance, is that you, you, you just don't ever say anything to anyone about anything because it's none of your business. Jesus never says, don't be a hypocrite. He says, judge not lest ye be judged by the same righteous standard. So we repent of our sins, past and present. We are forgiven by the blood of Christ. So we we stand forgiven. And coming out of that, we actually are bold enough to tell our children who are maybe thinking about living together with another person before marriage, don't do that. That is a sin. It goes against God's will. And maybe they know about the past of the person and they might throw that in their face And we just have to be bold and say, no, I've sinned. I regret it. I'm ashamed of what I did, and I'm forgiven in Jesus, but you don't do this. And we don't have any problem doing this with, like, money or college or mistakes we made with with respect to that. We'll, We'll tell our kids and grandkids all kinds of stuff. Don't do this. Don't do that. When it comes to matters of dating or what have you, we just feel like we can't speak into that. And so a holy hypocrite is one who stands forgiven in Jesus, and is seeking that in their vocation as a Christian father and mother or what have you, they are living and encouraging that their children, grandchildren, are living in accordance with God's will and design. How do you respond to our fellow Lutherans? And I know you've heard this. They say that your approach here is too law-oriented. Yes. Yeah, the law is bad is what you hear because the gospel's good. That's the polarity that you get. And I guess what I would say, in short, to those people in the Lutheran circles in the Missouri Synod is I would uh, read your Bible and I would read your Lutheran confessions because both have a lot to say about the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect and holy and righteous. So the law and I guess maybe we can go to a kind of a big term that I'll define, antinomianism. There are a lot of people who are just 
have a whether it's soft or, or hard a real problem with with the law doing anything functioning any way other than accusing the sinner the law always accuses always but it doesn't just accuse so i would direct our lutheran brothers and sisters and my fellow pastors to say the formula of concord article 6 and there are many other places in the lutheran confessions that the law clearly for the regenerated renewed christian has a robust role and is a blessing because the law as the uh, formula concord tells us is the unchangeable will of god and when we see that as uh, god's desire for our lives again in the forgiveness of jesus on account of his righteousness we are able then to try to live in accordance with what God desires. Todd, I, I, I hear this from, from other pastors. You know, you're going to undermine the gospel if you talk, start talking about the law or people will get confused. But, but I have to tell you, the scriptures say things like 1 Thessalonians 4, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own vessel in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so when Paul says things like that, I just simply direct my critic or critiquer to the scriptures. And so what do you do with that? Well, what you do with it is you take it seriously. God desires his people to live holy lives. We do not take the gospel and you know, get rid of the law or reduce it down to just this one kind of function and then take the gospel and make it do the work of the law. It is true, even the good works we do in us are a result of the Holy Spirit. So we don't even get credit for those. But we are to just look simply at how we are spoken to in the scriptures by Jesus, by Peter, by Paul, by John, as well as the, I mean, Psalm 119 for crying out loud. I would direct my, I would, would direct my brothers in Christ to read their Bible and their Lutheran confessions. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're discussing pornography with Pastor Christopher Heaton, author of the new book, Mentioning the Unmentionables. Folks, if you enjoyed our series last summer on the battle for the Bible in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, be sure to subscribe to the Lutheran Witness magazine. The theme of the February issue is the 50th anniversary of the walkout at Concordia Seminary. You can receive an annual print and digital subscription for less than $25. Learn more at lcms.org witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective, the Lutheran Witness magazine. The other side of the break, we'll talk about God's intent for the law. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast Christ's net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. 
This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find issues, etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Have you ever wanted a resource to share with first-time visitors of your congregation to help them understand why we worship the way we worship, why your church gathers the way they gather to receive our Lord's gifts? Pick up your copy of the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, which is The Divine Service, A User's Guide. To order a copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website to learn more, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. A blind sinner is carried to baptism administered by a pastor. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. That was the epiphany event where our eyes were opened to see the amazing grace of God in the very face of Jesus. With the oldest deaconess program of the LCMS, Concordia University Chicago has fully certified young women for the deaconess vocation for more than 40 years. I'm Deaconess Kristen Wasilak, Program Director for Deaconess Studies. Help us identify the next generation of servants to care for souls, engage our communities in mercy, and teach God's Word. Learn more about Concordia Chicago's Deaconess Program today at cuchicago.edu. cuchicago.edu. We are discussing pornography with Pastor Christopher Heaton, author of the new book, Mentioning the Unmentionables. We were talking before the break about the goodness of God's law. Something that occurred to me is that God's law is not only good in itself, it's also good for us. God intends his law for Christians to be a blessing. Does it still accuse us? Of course it does, but it also shows what God's goodwill for us is. So. I think I got this. I heard it from Dr. Joel Bierman from Concordia Seminary. I think he was quoting, I believe it was David Scare. But in the resurrection of all the dead and the restoration of the creation, there is no gospel. The gospel is completed. There is only law, the unchangeable will of God for all people, but without sin, without death. And if you think of it in that way, it is the eternal, unending blessing that we live in accordance with what God desires, what he always desires. And so I think of the law that way, as St. Paul says, sin is the problem, not the law. And the law does crush us. It does accuse us. And it does, well, sometimes it's just inconvenient for sinners to be confronted with the law or someone who's proclaiming the law. But it is a beautiful gift that is going to be our eternal direction and the way that we are going to live in the new heavens and the new earth. Finally, what pastoral counsel would you give to a listener who is struggling with pornography? Yeah, thank you for that question. I would encourage all people to make use of something that is so important and powerful in this whole conversation, which is seek the counsel of your pastor in private confession absolution. Your pastor's ears are like tombs. Whatever you confess to them privately stays with your pastor and dies there. 
more importantly than just kind of getting a load off or bearing your soul to someone else, is that in that context and setting, you can hear the clear proclamation of the mercy of Christ in the words of absolution. So I would seek out your pastor and confess your sins. And then in the mercy of Christ, and here's maybe a good place to talk about then the practical nature, is that your pastor also then can help you with some strategies. And this, this is where people kind of get concerned when we start talking about effort. But the fact is this, even when we receive the free forgiveness of Jesus, the crisis comes up during the week or the next time you meet, you are going to encounter temptation. What do you do? And there are things that my book suggests that you can do in those moments and that there are things pastors can give people. Pastors are servants of the word. And we have a lot in our bag of tricks, so to speak, to offer people to help them navigate. So I tell people, repent, repent of your sin, and that's a daily practice. Trust in the mercy of Christ. And when you find yourself in a situation that you are out of control, maybe you're stuck in a pattern where you're just constantly tempted, go to someone you can trust who will tell you about the mercy of Christ, but also redirect you in ways that ultimately can lead to your sanctification through the Holy Spirit. And if if it's beyond the pastor's ability to help, then they can even properly refer you to someone that has a, you know, maybe a more clinical background. But uh, my experience is that uh, pastors have a lot to offer and um, have a lot to speak into those situations. So take comfort and solace in that relationship and go to church and go see your pastor. Pastor Christopher Heaton is pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Fulton, Missouri. He's author of the new book, Mentioning the Unmentionables, Naming the Corrosive Threat to Our Lives Together and Our Faithful Response in the Body of Christ. When you purchase Mentioning the Unmentionables at our website, a percentage of your purchase will help support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Talk On Demand Archives, and look for Mentioning the Unmentionables by Pastor Christopher Heaton. Christopher, thank you very much. It was an honor to be here. Thank you. When we come back, Dr. Carrie Chittick joins us. We'll talk about church and autism. This is Jeff Schwartz, General Manager of Lutheran Public Radio, with a message for listeners in the Mountain and Pacific time zones. We pledge to have Issues Etc. podcasts posted daily, no later than 5 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific. This will allow you to download and listen to the latest Issues Etc. podcast weekdays during your evening commute. Again, if you live in the Mountain or Pacific time zone, Download Issues Etc. before you leave work and listen during your drive home. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the Divine Service at 815 or 1045 a.m., Bible Study and Sunday School at 930 a.m., 
as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you.